Chapter Five of Book One of The Well at World's End by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, Ralph cometh to Hyme on the way. Nought more befell Ralph to tell of, till he came to the end of the downs and saw Hyme lying below him, overlooked by a white castle on a knoll, and with a river lapping it about and winding on through its fair green meadows, even as Clement had told. From amidst its houses rose up three towers of churches above their leaden roofs, and high above all, long and great, the abbey church, and now was the low sun glittering on its gilded vanes, and the wings of the angels high upon the battlements. So Ralph rode down the slopes, and was brisk about it, for it was drawing towards sunset, and he knew not at what hour they shut the gates. The road was steep and winding, and it was the more part of an hour ere he came to the gate, which was open, and like to be yet, for many folk were thronging in, which throng also had hindered him soon after he came into the plain country. The gate was fair and strong, but Ralph saw no men-at-arms about it that evening. He rode into the street unquestioned, and therein was the throng great of people clad in fair and gay attire, and presently Ralph called to mind that this was St. John's Eve, so that he knew that there was some feast toward. At last, the throng was so thick that he was stayed by it, and therewithal a religious who was beside him and thrust up against his horse, turned to him and gave him good even, and said, By thy weapons and gear, thou art a stranger here in our burg, sir knight. So it is, said Ralph. And whither away, said the monk, hast thou some kinsman or friend in the town? Nay, said Ralph, I seek a good hostelry where I might abide the night for my money. The monk shook his head and said, See ye the folk, it is holiday time and midsummer after hazel. Ye shall scarce get lodgings outside our house. But what then? Come thou thither straight away and have harbour of the best, and see our prior, who loveth young and brisk men-at-arms like to thee. Though now the throng openeth a little, I will walk by thy bridle and lead thee the shortest road thither. Ralph gainsayed him not, and they bored through the throng of the street till they came into the market-square which was very great and clean, paved with stones all over. Tall and fair houses rose up on three sides of it, and on the fourth was the great church which made those houses seem but low. Most of it was new-built, for the Lord Abbot that then was, though he had not begun it, had taken the work up from his forerunner, and had pushed it forward all he might, for he was very rich and an open-handed man. Like dark gold it showed under the evening sun, and the painted and gilded imagery shone like jewels upon it. Ye, said the monk, as he noted Ralph's wonder at this wonder, a most goodly house it is, and happy shall they be that dwell there. Therewith he led Ralph on, turning aside through the great square. Ralph saw that there was many folk therein, though it was too big to be thronged thick with them. Amidst of it was now a great pile of wood hung about with flowers, and hard by it a stage built up with hangings of rich cloth on one side thereof. He asked the monk what this might mean, and he told him the wood was for the midsummer bale-fire, and the stage for the show that should come thereafter. So the brother led Ralph down a lane to the south of the great west door, and along the side of the minster, and so came to the abbey gate, and there was Ralph well greeted, and had all things given to him which were due to a good knight, and then he was brought into the guest-hall, a very fair chamber, which was now full of men of all degrees. He was shown to a seat on the dais within two of the sub and beside him sat an honourable lord, a vassal of St. Mary's, 
so was supper served well and abundantly the meat and drink was of the best and the vessel and all the plenishings was as good as might be and the walls of that chamber were hung with noble arras cloth picturing the pilgrimage of the soul of man every man there who spoke with ralph and they were many were exceeding courteous to him and he had much talk about him of the wealth of the lands of st mary's at home and how it was flourishing and of the abbot how mighty he was so that he might do what he would and that his will was to help and to give and be blithe with all men and folk told of turmoil and war in other lands and praised the peace of Heim on the way ralph listened to all this and smiled and said to himself that to another man this might well be the end of his journey for that time but for him all this peace and well-being was not enough for though it were a richer land than upmeads yet to the peace and the quiet he was well used and he had come forth not for the winning of fatter peace but to try what new thing his youth and his might and his high hope and his good hap might accomplish so when the supper was over and the wine and spices had been brought the guest hall began to thin somewhat and the brother who had brought ralph thither came to him and said fair lord it were no wise ill if ye went forth, as others of our guests have done, to see the deeds of Midsummer's Eve, that shall be done in the great square in honour of Holy John. For our manner therein at Higham has been much thought of. Look, my son. He pointed to the windows of the hall therewith, and lo, they grew yellow and bright with some fire without, as if a new fiery day had been born out of the dusk of the midsummer night. For the light that shone through the windows outdid the candlelight in the hall. Ralph started thereat and laid his right hand to the place of his sword, which indeed he had left with the chamberlain. But the monk laughed and said, Fear nothing, lord, there is no foeman in Higham. Come now, lest thou be related of the show. So he led Ralph forth and into the square, where there was a space appointed for the brethren and their guests to see the plays, and the square was now so full of folk that it seemed like as if that there were no one man in the streets which were erewhile so thronged. There were rows of men-at-arms in bright armour also to keep the folk in their places, like as hurdles pen the sheep up, howbeit they were nowise rough with the folk, but humble and courteous. Many and many were the torches and cressets burning steadily in the calm air, so that, as aforesaid, night was turned into day. But on the scaffold aforesaid were standing bright and gay figures, whose names, or what they were, Ralph had no time to ask. Now the bells began to clash from the great tower of the minster, and in a little while they had clashed themselves into order and rang clear and tunably for a space. And while they were ringing low, those gay-clad people departed from the scaffold, and a canvas painted like a mountainside, rocky and with caves therein, was drawn up at the back of it. Then came thereon one clad like a king, holding a fair maiden by the hand, and with him was a dame richly clad and with a crown on her head. So these two kissed the maiden, and lamented over her, and went their ways, and the maiden left alone sat down upon a rock and covered up her face and wept. And while Ralph wondered what this might mean, or what grieved the maiden, there came creeping, as it were from out a cranny of the rocks, a worm huge-headed and covered over with scales that glittered in the torchlight. Then Ralph sprang up in his place, for he feared for the maiden that the worm would devour her, but the monk who sat by him pulled him down by the skirt, and laughed and said, Sit still, Lord, for the champion also has been provided. Then Ralph sat down again somewhat abashed and looked on, yet was his heart in his mouth the while. And so while the maiden stood as one a stony before the worm, 
who gaped upon her with wide-open mouth, there came forth from a cleft in the rocks a goodly knight who bore silver, a red cross, and he had his sword in his hand, and he fell upon the worm to smite him, and the worm ramped up against him, and there was battle betwixt them, while the maiden knelt anigh with her hands clasped together. Then Ralph knew that this was a play of the fight of St. George with the worm, so he sat silent till the champion had smitten off the worm's head, and had come to the maiden and kissed and embraced her, and shown her the grisly head. Then presently came many folk onto the scaffold, to wit, the king and queen who were the father and mother of the maiden, and a bishop clad in very fair vestments, and knights withal, and they stood about St. George and the maiden, and with them were minstrels who fell to playing upon harps and fiddles, while other some fell to singing a sweet song in honour of St. George, and the maiden delivered. So when it was all done, the monk said, This play is set forth by the man-at-arms of our Lord Abbot, who have great devotion towards St. George, and he is their friend and their good lord. But hereafter will be other plays, of wild men and their feasting in the woods in the golden age of the world, and that is done by the scribes and the limners. And after that will be a pageant of St. Agnes ordered by the clothiers and the webbers, which will be both many and deft in this good town. Albeit thou art a young man and has ridden far to-day belike, and may happen thou wilt not be able to endure it, so it may be well to bring thee out of this throng straight away. Moreover, I have bethought me that there is much of what is presently to come which we shall see better from the minster roof, or even it may be from the tower. Wilt thou come, then? Ralph had lever have sat there and seen all the plays to the end, for they seemed to him exceeding fair, and like to ravish the soul from the body. Howbeit, being shamefaced, he knew not how to gainsay the brother, who took him by the hand, and led him through the press to the west front of the minster, where on the north side was a little door in a nook. So they went up a stair there in a good way, till they came into a gallery over the western door, and looking forth thence, Ralph deemed that he could have seen a long way had daylight been, for it was higher than the tops of the highest houses. So there they abode a space looking down on the square and its throng, and the bells, which had been ringing when they came up, now ceased a while. But presently there arose great shouts and clamour amongst the folk below, and they could see men with torches drawing near to the pile of wood, and then all of a sudden shot up from it a great spiring flame, and all the people shouted together, while the bells broke out again over their heads. Then the brother pointed aloof with his finger and said, Lo you, fair lord, how bell speaks to bell all along the headlands of the down country, and below there in the thorps by the river. Forsooth, Ralph saw fire after fire break out to the westward, and the brother said, And if we stood over the high altar and looked east, you would see more of such fires and many more, and all these bales are piled up and lighted by vassals and villains of my lord abbot. Now to-night they are but mere midsummer bale fires, but doubt ye not that if they came to war in the land, each one of these bales would mean at least half a score of stout men, archers and men-at-arms, all ready to serve their lord at all adventure. All this the tyrants round about, that hate the holy church and oppress the poor, know full well. Therefore we live in peace in these lands. Ralph hearkened, but said naught, for amidst all this flashing of fire and flame, and the crying out of folk, and the measured clash of the bells so near him, his thought was confused, and he had no words ready to hand. But the monk turned from the parapet, and looked him full in the face, and said to him, Thou art a fair young man, and strong, and of gentle blood as I deem. 
and thou seemest to me to have the lucky look in thine eyes. Now I tell thee, that if thou wert to take service with my lord, thou shouldest never rue it. Ye, well shouldest thou not wax in his service, and become his captain of captains, which is an office meet for kings. Ralph looked on him, but answered naught, for he could not gather his thoughts for an answer, and the brother said, Think of it, I bid thee, fair young lord, and be sure that nowhere shalt thou have a better livelihood, not even wert thou a king's son, for the children of my lord abbot are such that none dareth to do them any displeasure, neither is any overlord as good as his holy church. Ye, said Ralph, doubtless thou sayest sooth, yet I wot not that I am come forth to seek a master. Said the brother, Nay, but do see the lord abbot, as thou mayest do to-morrow, if thou wilt. I would have his blessing, said Ralph. No less shalt thou have, said the brother, but look you down yonder, for I can see tokens that my lord is even now coming forth. Ralph looked down and beheld the folk parting to right and left, and a lane made amidst the throng, guarded by men-at-arms mingled with the cross-bearers and brethren, and the sound of trumpets bled forth over the noise of the throng. "'If the Lord Abbot cometh,' said Ralph, "'I were fain of his blessing to-night before I sleep, so down we go straightway that I may kneel before him with the rest.' "'What?' said the monk. "'Wilt thou, my lord, kneel among all these burgesses and vivasses, when thou mightest see the abbot in his own chamber face to face alone with him. Father, said Ralph, I am no great man, and I must needs depart betimes to-morrow, for I perceive that here are things too mighty and overmastering for such as I be. Well, said the monk, yet mayest thou come back again, so at present I will make no more words about it. So they went down and came out amidst the throng, above which the bale still flared high, making the summer night as light as day. The brother made way for Ralph, so that they stood in the front row of folk. They had not been there one minute, ere they heard the sound of the brethren singing, and the abbot came forth out of the lane that went down to the gate. Then all the folk went down upon their knees, and thus abode him. Right so Ralph deemed that he felt someone pull his sleeve, but in such a throng there was naught of a wonder. Howbeit, he turned and looked to his left, whence came the tug, and saw kneeling beside him a tall man-at-arms, who bore a sallet on his head, in such wise that it covered all his face save the point of his chin. Then Ralph bethought him of the man of the leafless tree, and he looked to see what armoury the man bore in his coat, but he had nothing save a loose frock of white linen over his halberk. Nevertheless, he heard a voice in his ear which said, The second time, whereon he deemed that it was verily the same man, Yet he had naught to do to lay hold on him, and he might not speak with him, for even therewith came the abbot in garments all of gold, going foot under a canopy of bordekin, with the precious mitre on his head, and the crozier borne before him, as if he had been a patriarch, for he was an exceeding mighty lord. Ralph looked hard on him as he passed by, blessing the folk with upraised hand, and he saw that he was a tall spare man, clean-shaven and thin-faced, but no old man, but like scarce of fifty winters. Ralph caught his eye, and he smiled on the goodly young man so kindly, that for a moment Ralph deemed that he would dwell in St. Mary's house for a little while. For, thought he, if my father or Nicholas hear of me therein, they must even let me alone to abide here. Therewith the abbot went forth to his place, and sat him down under a goodly cloth of estate, and folk stood up again, 
but when Ralph looked for the man in the salad, he could see naught of him. Now when the abbot was set down, men made a clear ring round about the bale, and there came into the said ring twelve young men, each clad in noughts over goatskin, and with garlands of leaves and flowers about their middles. They had with them a wheel done about with straw and hemp, paid with pitch and brimstone. They set fire to the same, and then trundled it blazing round about the bale twelve times. Then came to them twelve damsels clad in such like guise as the young men. Then both bands, the young men and the maidens, drew near to the bale, which was now burning low, and stood about it, and joined hands, and so danced round it a while, and meantime the fiddles played an uncouth tune merrily. Then they sundered, and each couple of men and maids leapt backward and forward over the fire, and when they had all leapt, came forth men with buckets of water, which they cast over the dancers till it ran down them in streams. Then was all the throng mingled together, and folk trod the embers of the bale underfoot, and scattered them hither and thither all over the square. All this while men were going about with pitchers of wine and ale and other good drinks, and every man drank freely what he would, and there was the greatest game and joyance. But now Ralph was exceeding weary, and he said, Father, mightest thou lead me out of this throng, and show me some lair where I may sleep in peace, I would thank thee blithely. As he spake there sounded a great horn over the square, and the abbot rose in his place and blessed all the people once more. Then said the monk, Come then, fair field lord, now shalt thou have thy will of bed. And he laughed therewith, and drew Ralph out of the throng and brought him to the abbey, and into a fair little chamber, on the wall whereof was pictured St. Christopher, and St. Julian the lord and friend of wayfarers. Then he brought Ralph the wine and spices, and gave him good night, and went his ways. As Ralph put the raiment from off him, he said to himself, A long day, forsooth, so long that I should have thought no day could have held all that has befallen me. So many strange things I have seen, that surely my dreams shall be full of them, for even now I seem to see them, though I waken. So he lay down in his bed and slept, and dreamed that he was fishing with an angle in a deep of Upmead's water, and he caught many fish, but after a while whatsoever he caught was but of gilded paper stuffed with wool, and at last the water itself was gone, and he was casting his angle onto a dry road. Therewith he woke and saw that day was dawning, and heard the minster clock strike three, and heard the thrushes singing their fair song in the prior's garden. Then he turned about and slept, and dreamed no more till he woke up in the bright sunny morning. End of chapter 5